Leviticus 22 and verse number 17. The word of the Lord says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Here are the instructions of verse 19. Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, that would be cattle as we would refer to it, of the sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish that shall ye not offer, it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect. Everyone say perfect. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. God says you are not going to dig around in the corners of your flock. Find something that really wasn't worth that much anyway. Something you didn't really care about or want in the first place. Bring that to me and expect me to be impressed with that. If you're going to bring something to me, it's going to cost you something. You're going to bring the best you have. You're going to go through your flock and find one that has not one flaw in it. That's what you bring to me. He, in verse 22, begins to describe those, some of those maladies which would render that sacrifice unacceptable. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either, he says, a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous. Big word, just means extra parts. It's got three ears, you're not bringing that one. Or, he says, lacking in his parts. Now, he says, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture? This is not negotiable with God. Every sacrifice will be perfect to be accepted. But I'm not going to preach anything near about, close to, nearby what you think I'm going to preach about. Because my question today falls on the other side of the ledger. If then they are unacceptable, what does the shepherd do then with a blemished lamb? What plans does he have for one that doesn't have it all together? Who's not as good as the others? What happens to the one that limps in the pasture? What's God do with that one? And that's what we will look at today if the Lord will be our helper. Father, thank you for your word and for these precious people and for the touch of your presence and your glory resonant in this house. I thank you for it. I ask God you would open our hearts now. Give me for just a little season the hearts of this people to be able to share your word. And I pray you would minister by your word and by your spirit to this group of wonderful saints. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. We will begin today with a rhetorical question. Other than Jesus Christ, have you ever met anyone? Who was perfect? You ever met anyone who thought that they... Well, never mind. 
Don't nudge your spouse right now. Please don't. Uh, sometime back in the St. Louis paper, it's been several years ago now, there was an essay that was published, was written by a lady from the St. Louis community. Now, it's very important that you keep track of the fact it was a lady that wrote this. She wrote an article about a perfect couple, a perfect man married to a perfect woman. They lived in a perfect house with perfect yard, perfect smiles, perfect kids, perfect little white picket fence, perfect jobs, perfect everything, just life was perfect. She said one day this perfect man and perfect woman were driving along on Christmas Eve. They were buzzing down the road and they looked up ahead and saw in the ditch the battered remains of a tiny red sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Santa had had a blowout and a runner on his sleigh and he was stuck there on the side of the road. Well, being perfect people, this lady said, did I, did I mention it was a lady that wrote this? Okay, that's important. This lady said they didn't want all the kills to be disappointed, so they stopped in their perfect car, and they loaded Santa in his magic bag in the back seat, and they took off at a rather high rate of speed because you have to travel pretty quick to get to every house in one night. As they were driving down the road, the lady that wrote this article, I might mention that, uh, said they hit a patch of black ice on the highway, and the car went out of control into a ditch, hit a phone pole, and tragically, she said, there was only one survivor, and she posed the question, who survived the accident? To which this lady who wrote the article came to the conclusion, she said it must have been the woman, because she said everyone knows that Santa and a perfect man are mythical creatures. I was like, Now, the good news, gentlemen, is one week later, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a man who responded in the paper with his own essay. One week later, he answered her and said, of course, it was the woman she was driving. That explains the accident. Now, I did not say that. I am just reporting to you what was in the St. Louis paper. Please do not. I just, I try to offend everybody all at once. But the truth is, any humor found in that story aside, we understand the truth that, that, that outside of the Lord himself, there is no one who is perfect. That every person living is flawed, scarred, damaged, and wounded. There is nobody that's perfect. And yet, I can make a pretty good case to you from the pages of Scripture that God looks at you and calls you perfect. I can make a case that there is perfection in your past, there is perfection in your today, and there is perfection in your future. Because Hebrews 10, 14 looks backwards and says, For by one offering he hath perfected, past tense, forever them that are sanctified. Ephesians 4 looks into your church today and says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfect of the saints that's what's going on in you right now and Peter looks forward and says after you have suffered a little while God will make you I present to you today that we are positionally perfect in our past, we are practically perfect in our present, and we are prophetically perfect in our future because when God looks at us, He doesn't see all the litany of things we've done wrong. He looks through the eyes of His own mercy, sees us covered with blood, redeemed out of the hand of the enemy, and He says, my church is perfect. 
You need to stop letting the devil beat you up over your yesterdays. Something right there. You need to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And I am not a hostage to the mistakes I made. I am not bound by my regrets. I am not captive by what I used to be. I have stepped into the liberty that's found in Christ Jesus. I am covered in the righteousness of God and He sees me as. That's perfect. I know you say, well, you don't know me. Yes, I do. You're just like me. You've got your issues. Some of you have so many issues, you've got a subscription. And you've got your regrets, and I do too. And you've got your yesterdays you wish could be redone, and I do too. And you've got those things you wish you'd never done, and I do too. And you've got those words that came out of your mouth that you wish you'd never said, and I do too. And you've got some seasons of life that you wish you could relive, and you change some things, and I do too. But I want to tell you what else you've got. You've got a Savior that spilled his blood to set you free, and I do too. And you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I do too. And you've got hope for tomorrow, and I do too. And I refuse to be bound by what used to be when my Savior said, I see you as perfect. Perfect. Now, we understand that outside of him, we are anything but perfect. That completion, that wholeness, that soundness only comes in him. Journey with me momentarily to Mount Sinai in the, in the desert as Israel has made their way out of Egypt as Pastor so beautifully taught about this morning. And they stop there at Mount Sinai and there on that mountain God unveils for them what we call the law of Moses. Interesting term because really it was the law of God. But God unveiled them to Moses and so we use that nomenclature. These regulations, these guidelines that God gave them, folks, you listen to me, it touched every aspect of their life. It was broad enough to deal with everything about them. God told them what to eat, what not to eat, what to wear, when to work, how to go, how far to journey. I mean, they just went on and on and on and on and on. He gave them guidelines about everything. He gave them penalties for all manner of civil disagreements. He spelled out penalties for criminal actions. He got so specific, he said, if you've got an ox that is prone to get out and chase people and you don't keep it pinned up and it gets out again and hurts somebody, here's how much you've got to pay. I mean, he spelled, anybody had an ox like that? Okay. I mean, he, he just, he detailed, listen, Every facet of their life was discussed and regulated. See, because God has this little identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And as God, he is not bashful to look at a group of people that he brought out of slavery and say, now since I set you free from Egyptian bondage, I will not be bashful if I feel like it's for me to give you some guidelines about how to live. 
Folks, I just tell you, I don't understand people that want to get mad at a pastor or mad at God when he tries to give them some guidance about how to live. Do you understand? He set me free from slavery. He brought me out of he brought me out of bondage I was a slave to sin and he set me free and he said now if I brought you out of slavery I'm not bashful about telling you how to live and you know I kind of feel like sometimes God wants to look at me saying now Scott if you don't like that try and go back to Egypt I mean it's getting a little snug right now Who does God think he is to tell me what I ought to wear? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you who God thinks he is. Thinks he's God. And I'm pretty sure he's right. And if God had never done anything for me, maybe I could bow up and look back at him and say, I'll live like I want to. But when God found me, my life was broken and ruined. And he reached down into the muck and the mire. And he picked me up out of that and set my feet on a rock. I'm just going on record. God, you tell me how to live. You tell me what to do. Give me your word that tells me how to live and how to raise my family and how to walk for you. And I will not resist because I love being free. free how can you have all those regulations I've been set free from sin you know what Romans says says when I was set free from sin I became the servant of righteousness he didn't set me free to just wander around on my own I just changed masters I have a new master now I'm a servant of righteousness he gave the see well and let's do this he was He was not any less specific about all those things that affected how they worshipped. I mean, he he gave them guidelines about how to worship him that were intricate. What kind of feasts to have and when to have them and what kind of sacrifices to offer. Oh, and the tabernacle, my goodness. He gave them instructions about the tabernacle that were so detailed. It's going to be this wide, this tall, this long, this high, this many rooms made out of these curtains, dyed these colors. You build it just like I said. I am not interested in your opinion. Sorry. God doesn't rule by public opinion polls. He doesn't conduct surveys to figure out what's best for us. He doesn't give suggestions. He gives commandments. Exodus 25 and 9, he said, According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. God says, here's how to build the tabernacle. And, I, and, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to tell you what God said. And I don't, really don't care if you like it. I was a pastor for several years. I'm a recovering pastor now. I told our church on numerous occasions, God is much more interested in you being holy than he is in you being happy. He doesn't lay awake at night in heaven going, man, I hope I can keep the church of Omaha happy. No, he doesn't. He doesn't live his life trying to figure out how to please you. He gives us instructions about how to please him. Oh, I'm about to amen myself, and I've been known to do it. 
He gives us guidelines and says, live like this so you can please me. Not come to church and I'll make everything perfect so you're happy. He wants me to be holy. He wants me to be sanctified to him. He wants me to be set apart to him. And he will give me guidelines about how to live that way. He said, I'll tell you how to build that tabernacle. It's going to be this long. Now, you can, you can believe what you want to believe. Of course, America's a free society. You have the right to be wrong anytime you choose. If they'd have built that tabernacle 10 feet longer than God said to build it, he would never have met them there. Because God wasn't asking their opinion. God was saying, here's what you do. So they built it. And God gave them instructions about how to worship, what to do. He was intensely specific. Hear me. I'm all, I haven't even got to my point yet. Just ride with me. He was intensely specific about what they would do that would address their sin problem. That was not God being a bully. That was God being merciful. That was God saying to them, I am going to provide you an answer for your sin. And I know you don't know what to do, so I'm going to tell you what to do. And the fact that God said, when I tell you, do it my way, is not God being a bully. That's God being God. So I'll just go one step further down that line and tell you, I am thankful living today that when it comes to sin, God has given us an answer. Amen? He said, repent of those sins and I'll forgive them. Be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ and I will wash away the record of those sins. Come up out of that water. I'll give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you'll be brought back to life. I say, thank God he tells us how to deal with our sins. Now here's what you got to come to grips with. God doesn't care what my grandma thought. And God doesn't care what the church down the street thinks. And to be real honest, God doesn't care what this church thinks. He just wants to know what does the Word of God say. And this is how we live. I say thank God the Word of God is clear and plain and tells a man and anybody besides me glad to be an apostolic and have your sins taken care of. Woo, hallelujah. Thank God. In that frame of worship, one of the ways he was so specific was about the sacrifices that they would offer in that tabernacle. Folks, there were all kinds. There were trespass offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings and free will offerings and offerings of sanctification and the annual offering on the Day of Atonement. And each of them had their own guidelines. What to bring, how to kill it, what to burn, what the priest got, what you did with it. There were intricate sacri uh, sacrificial guidelines for every part of that. And God expected them to follow those guidelines to the letter. One of the guidelines that I read to you earlier was this. That any sacrifice they brought, for almost everything they brought, this guideline was there. It had to be perfect to be accepted. This was non-negotiable. God wouldn't discuss this with you. He insisted you bring him the best of the flock. And so now I approach, not quite, but almost to my point. I wonder, can you imagine with me the diligence with which a Hebrew shepherd prepared his sacrifice? Journey with me, if you would, please, to the little tent of a Hebrew sheepkeeper. Okay? We're going to journey up to his tent, and the next day he's fixing to go out in his flock, 
and get a lamb to take to the tabernacle for sacrifice. He sits down at his Dell laptop. Work with me. Okay, his Mac. And he pulls up a spreadsheet of his sheep and he starts running through them. Now a shepherd knows his flock and he knows before he ever starts there's some of them out there that don't measure up. Now I'm going to throw out a few names here in the next couple of minutes. If I happen to call your name, that's not a prophetic gift. God is not calling you out. I just randomly picked a name. The Bible says time and chance have to all men. So if I call your name in a couple of minutes, don't get uncomfortable, okay? It just happens. He just runs down through his spreadsheet, starts picking out sheep. And he says, oh, yeah, Bobby. Cool. Bobby, yeah, Bobby not going to work. Bobby's got that one ear that's crooked. His dad, same way, so does grandpa. They've been that way for generations. He won't work. Bobby's out. Oh, Mary. No Mary? Cool. I just read the other day a story that said the new most unpopular girl's name last year, Karen. <laughs> Nobody's naming their kids Karen anymore because of the societal thing about a Karen. That's hilarious to me. A few years I preach this, say Karen, I'll be safe. Mary, oh no, not Mary. God love her. You know, Mary's got that left hind leg that's shorter than the other. She limps every place she goes. Mary won't work. Timmy and Tommy, huh, they're brothers. They fight all the time. Always butt heads. They got lumps and bruises where they've been butting heads one another. That won't work. They fight in Sunday school, fight in youth service. Fight. That don't work. Oh, Sarah. Sarah will never work. You know, Sarah fell a while back, and everybody in town knows about it. It was very public. Sarah had a mistake. William, you know, his dad abandoned him when he was just a child. He, he's lived with that all his life. Laura was abused as a girl. She was molested. That'll never work. He just went down through the list of his sheep, and this one had this problem, and that one had that problem, and this one had this scar, and some of them were public, and some of them were private. But the shepherd knew about all the damages in their life. It wasn't just the wounds that everyone could see. It was the scars that others in the flock couldn't see when they worshiped on Sunday. Because the Bible will tell us that that shepherd would bring that lamb up next to his tent and for seven days he would keep it pinned up and he would examine it in ways that the flock on Sunday could not see. He would pull back the wool of their public, praise the Lord, and look beyond that to see the hurts that have haunted them since childhood. He would turn the foot up and look at the bottom of the, of the hoof to see if it was cracked from something that was done to them when they were just a child. He would pull the lips back further than the smile that they painted on in Sunday school to see if a tooth was missing back there where nobody could see. Because it's not just the scars everybody knows about. It's not just the wounds that your fellow worshipers helped you pray for. It's the hidden and quiet and secret hurts that are underneath the surface that the rest of the flock can't see on Sunday. Now you journey with me right here. 
Because when he finally found one that measured up, when he found one with no scars, the limbs were whole, the coat was unspotted, the hide was perfect, everything was just like it should be. When he examined that sheep from, from stem to stern and there was not one flaw anywhere to be found, hear me, for that perfection, it died. My question is, what happens to the ones like you and me that have a limp in our background? What happens to the ones like all the rest of us who come here with some hurts and some pains? What does the shepherd do with you, when he finds the hurt from your childhood? It's one sentence long. It ought to produce rejoicing in this church. When the shepherd finds a scar, you know what happens? He lets us live. Now that may not mean much to you if you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. That may not mean much to you if you've never made a mistake. That may not mean anything to you if you've never drifted away from the foot of the cross. But if you're like the rest of us and you've got some yesterdays you regret and you've got some hurts from your past, I thank God the shepherd looks at us and says, I'm going to keep you. 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 That sheep was scared to death and the shepherd wrapped his arms around him and said, I won't let anybody hurt you anymore. I won't scar you anymore. You're not going to die. Come here, little sheep. Stay here in my pasture. You're mine today. You'll be mine tomorrow. I will never get rid of you. I'm going to keep you. You're mine. I preach to someone today who is haunted by the scars of your past, who feels like somehow that some of your yesterdays make you unfit for God's pasture, I tell you in the fear of the Lord, God, the shepherd wants to wrap his arms around you today and let you know this. You are his today. You will be his tomorrow. He is not ashamed of you. He doesn't want to get rid of you. He loves you like you are. He knows all about your scars. And he still loves you. See, I'm, I'm off ahead of my notes here, but this, is, this story played out in the human race. From the very beginning, God wanted a perfect flock. He created Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect pasture. Everything was great. He wanted a perfect race of people to serve him. And Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, the first two candidates, they were scarred. From the very beginning, when Adam took a bite of that fruit, he interjected a scar into the human race that has haunted every man that's ever lived. For by one man's disobedience, Romans said, every one of us was made sinners. I inherited a scar from my father. I inherited a sin mark from my father. I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Every one of us, all 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look down through the pages of the Old Testament at all the patriarchs and heroes of faith, even those listed in Hebrews 11. And when you look, you can see the scar. David limped. Abraham was scarred. Oh, some of them are more visible than others. I will grant you that. But every one of them was damaged. You come to a stable outside of Bethlehem and you find the Lamb of God who was insulated by a virgin birth from his daddy's sin. And for the first time ever, there was a lamb that stepped out into the pasture that had no sin. The Bible says he did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. So Satan said, I've got a scar, this one. Turn these stones into bread shall not live by bread alone. Jump down off the temple and the angels will catch you. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. Get thee hence, Satan. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And Satan walked away with his tail between his legs because Jesus was still perfect. And so at the end of his life, Pilate brings him in. He examines him. And Pilate said words that scared hell half to death. When Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And for that perfection, they led him to the top of a hill. They drove nails through his hands and feet. For that perfection, he Don't get so righteous you don't remember that day you limped to the altar. Remember that day when you didn't have it all together and you came up here to the altar because somebody told you he'd love you and you really didn't know if you were good enough to be here and you really didn't know if God could overlook all of your past. But do you remember when the shepherd wrapped his arms around you and said, I know you've got a problem. That's why I'm going to keep you. I know you're not perfect. That's why I'm going to keep you. I know you've got a scar. That's why I'm going to keep you. enemy tries to beat us up sometimes tries to beat us and slap on us and say oh Lord you don't want this one (laughs) he not fit to live the shepherd says no you got it wrong he's not fit to kill you don't want this one I know about the thoughts he had this week yeah you're right He's too dirty to kill. I'm going to let him live. I know this one. She's got some problems with her background. She, she too, She's not fit to live. No, no, no. She's not fit to kill. I'm going to keep her. This one's got a problem, and that one's got an issue, and this one made a mistake, and this one doesn't know. And I hear the shepherd saying, yeah, I know. We're not going to kill any of them. I'm going to let them live. 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 They bring him that lady caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, they caught her in the act of committing adultery. And they drag her to the feet of Jesus.
Joseph said, they'd throw him down, throw her down at his feet. But Lord Moses said that somebody that does that should die. I want to know what you say. Do we kill her or do we let her live? I see Jesus kind of smile at him and say, well, um, is she perfect? Perfect. Lord, no. We didn't catch her jaywalking. We caught her breaking one of the big ten. She's not perfect. Her reputation is ruined. Her life is shot. Nobody will ever trust her again. Perfect. No, she's not perfect. And Jesus says that you can't kill her. You could only kill her if she was perfect. She's not good enough to die. You let her live. It is the message of the church that no matter how battered and how bruised and how beat up and how wounded and how many regrets you may have, Jesus looks at you and says, no, we're not killing that one. You get to live. And Jesus looks at those guys gathered that day that are so anxious to have a rock concert for wanting to stone her. Stay with me. Jesus looks at them and says, in essence, you let me paraphrase. If you guys are looking for somebody to kill, I'm going to draw your attention to the only one good enough to kill. Let him that is without sin among you. Who was that? He said, if you're looking for somebody to kill, I'm the only one without a scar. I'm the only one without a flaw. I'm the only one that's perfect. You want to kill somebody, kill me, but you leave her alone. Hey, I'm preaching to somebody today. The voice of the Lord is saying, you leave them alone. Stop beating them up with their past. Stop flogging them with their yesterdays. I let wish the shepherd could preach today because I know what the shepherd would do and I'm done in, in, in two minutes here the shepherd would go over to the pasture and he'd pick up a sheep and he'd bring it out here and introduce you this is Dave David from the Old Testament he, yeah he's, he's a rascal murderer adulterer well, throw him out. You don't want him. Throw him out. Oh, yeah, he had a bad week. Throw him out? Just because he's scarred? No. He's going to write songs that the church on the other side of Calvary is going to sing. He's going to write half a book that your pastor is going to teach on for about three years. Throw him out? No, no, Dave. Don't listen to him, David. You're mine, son. You're a sheep after my own heart. Oh, look at this. Peter. Oh, Peter's a mess. Peter's jumping out of the boat trying to walk on water. Peter denied he knew me on the most critical night of my life when I needed him most. He cursed and denied he had ever met me. Well, throw him out. You can't trust that one. Throw him out. I'm not going to throw him out. He, I can't kill him. 
I'm going to give him the keys to the kingdom. He's going to preach the birthday sermon of the church. Throw him out just because he had a bad night? No, no, no. Peter, don't listen to him, son. You're mine. I wish I knew you because your pastor could preach this a lot better than me right now. Just let me. I'm sorry. He'd grab this one. Throw him out. I don't know him, but I suspect there's some issues. I don't know him, but he's probably made some mistakes. I don't know him, but he probably dresses up good on Sunday, but underneath the covering, there's things in that heart that aren't exactly right. Just throw him out, God. You don't want one like that. And I hear the shepherds say, don't listen to him, son. You're mine today. You'll be mine tomorrow. I know everything about who you are and what you've done. I know your struggles. I know your hurts. I know your failures. I know your pain. But I want you to know you've got a place in my church. You've got a place in this church. And you're going to be here until I come. I need somebody right now that's thankful for God's mercy to begin to reach to him and say, Lord, I want to thank you. I didn't deserve to be here. I've got things you could have thrown me away, but your mercy. I wonder if you'd stand with me, everybody, right now. Would you just stand with me today? I'm, I'm done. I just, I think we ought to just thank him just a minute. Some of y'all act like he didn't forgive you from nothing. Some of you are acting like you got nothing to be grateful for, that you earned your way here, but you did not. You did not deserve to be here. You're scarred and wounded like all the rest of us. Because of our mutual connection with this church, we've been watching your services some. We've seen some of you come up here and tell your testimony that even your pastor's wife didn't know about. Scars and hurts that we cover up with the wool, but the shepherd knew everything about him and he still loves you. Father, I reach today through your spirit. For somebody that feels dirty when you've made them clean. I reach today for someone who feels condemned when you've made them pure. I reach today for someone who feels unworthy when you made us worthy. I speak today to someone who carries a hidden scar from their childhood. <laughs> waits up here with the arms wide open to embrace you. 
well, I, I, I'm not released yet. I'm telling you, I'm not released yet. There are, I want every eye closed out here in this congregation. Please do not be looking at me right now. But I am telling you by a prophetic gift right now that there, is, there are still those under the sound of my voice. And the Lord let me for just a moment ago feel the pain in your spirit. I cannot imagine living with that every day. I understand why you would wake up some mornings and not want to see the sunrise because of the agony that is in your spirit. God, let me taste it just a moment ago. And it breaks my heart for you. But I tell you that the shepherd has come this day with arms wide open to embrace you and love you and heal you and set you free from all your regrets and pain. You must run to his arms right now. The shepherd loves you. I wish you'd come to this altar, bring somebody with you, minister one to another. I'm not going to give you play-by-play instructions. I'm just telling you the shepherd has done everything he can to reach to you right now. He's doing everything he can to put his hand out and say, come on, trust me. Don't, don't just stand back and look at me from the far side of the pasture. Come here. Let, 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 let me be your arms around you. Let me embrace you and love you. Let me, let me convince you really it's okay. I don't hold that past against you. I forgive it. I wash it away in blood and it's going to be all right. You don't have to feel abused. You don't have to feel lonely. You don't have to feel dirty. You don't have to feel unloved. The shepherd loves you today.